Welcome back to Locked On NBA Draft. This week, we have seen the Rising Stars three-point uh, three participants excuse me, announced, and it inspired us to look at some of the best up-and-coming shooters in this draft, given that the last few best draft uh, shooters in the draft were from this last few drafts that are in the three-point contest. We wanted to look ahead to 2022 and see who those best players as shooters are in this draft. And we're also going to recap and preview some of this week's college basketball. Let's get to it on the other side. You are locked on NBA draft, your daily podcast on the NBA draft, part of the locked on podcast network, your team every day. Thank you for making Locked On NBA Draft your first listen of the day. My name is Richard Stamen at Draft on Twitter, joined by Leaf Tulene at Leaf Tulene on Twitter. we got a really good episode for you today. We're going to talk about the best shooter in the draft, who we see that as our top five actually best shooters in the draft. So you can think of some names that will probably be in a future three-point contest. And we're also going to talk about some of the upcoming and previous week of college basketball. Leaf what do you have for me today? How did you enjoy the last week of college basketball? Man, I'm never going to complain about college basketball. It wasn't quite the docket of games that there was a week prior, but there were some better finishes. Uh, you saw some upsets. You saw some close games. I love college hoops. love watching it to break down, but also just the, the prospects of watching a good basketball game will never disappoint me. So I'm excited to, to talk about a guy who we've kind of skirted around talking about for a bit. We've talked about a couple – couple big time players but we got one that that is a a, a tall fella who, who's going to go in the top three and uh, i'm excited to talk about chet holmgren hey locked on chet holmgren we promised you this last week we will eventually get there um first this episode is brought to you by bet online bet online has you covered this season with more props odds and lines than ever before bet online where the game starts and with bet online i'm sure there'll be plenty of bets surrounding chet holmgren He's someone who I'm very excited to get into, and he might even sneak into that uh, top five shooters in the class, given that he's seven foot and can shoot very well off the dribble and catch and shoot. But let's dive into those best shooters in the draft. It was very hard for me to narrow this down from five uh, to five. Excuse me. I honestly am still struggling. This probably changes every day. Um, I tweeted something out on Monday saying how, you know, three point percentage isn't the only way to judge who the best shooters are in the class. Like one of my guys is a 36% shooter. The other's a 34% shooter from three, but I still buy them as some of the best shooters in the class. So what we're going to do is we're going to count this down from five. We're going to have alternating lists. I'm going to go with my fifth ranked shooter in this class as, as of February 15th, Leaf is going to do his, and we're eventually going to make our way to number one. I'm very interested to see where some of the popular guys fall. Uh, if you know, you even have some of the same guys, how many guys overlap, but Let's get it started. My number five, I'm going to go with someone who his three-point percentage isn't what it was his first two seasons at Davidson, but I'm a big fan of Hyun Jung Lee. He is shooting 36% from three, 79% from the line. Last year is a lot better, but the volume has changed on both of these. He was at 44% last year from three and 90% from the free throw line. He can shoot off movement. He can shoot spot up. He can shoot off the dribble. I'm a big fan. Who's your number five? My number five is someone we've talked about quite a bit, but I'm going to read it off as if I'm not going to give it away here. My number five is, is 6'10", shoots 39.7% from three, 
has a silky smooth touch, high release, can shoot with his feet facing different directions, curl, face up, do whatever he'd like. Also happens to be number one on my big board. That's Jabari Smith. I, I think if you look at a pure shooting stroke and what he could do in the NBA, you see pick and pop becoming more and more prevalent. The fives and fours and fives that space the floor. Well, he's got the athleticism to make you respect his drive as well. He'll punish that. And if you give him an opening, he'll drain the three. Even last game against Auburn uh, uh, Auburn versus Arkansas, he hit two pull-up threes in, in the dying seconds in that upset loss that made you say, wow. And that said, 40% from three and some of the shoots, shots he takes, I think it could even be a higher percentage in the NBA. And that's saying something because 40% is nothing to scoff at at 6'10". Yeah, locked on Jabari Smith and uh, us is, is a common thing. I mean, we're both huge fans. I have him number two on my board. I I have, don't have him yet. He will make an appearance. I thought you were going to say a different 6'10 player who was my number four player. And this kind of wraps around my three-point percentages and everything. Uh, I'm going with Nikola Jovic out of Serbia. He is, you know, for the year, he's only shooting 40% from the field over in, in Serbia in the pro league. 33% from three this year, 77% from the line. So not a super strong um, necessarily, you know, it's not exactly the strongest numbers to support this, but if you go to his FIBA numbers, I mean, he shot 36%. Um, actually the free throw percentage dipped a lot, but his shooting stroke is just so clean. It's, it's, he can shoot off the dribble off step backs, spot and spot up, catch and shoot anything. He is a really fluid shooter. And I think the numbers really undersell just how good he is. Who's your number three. Uh, for for three, uh, so I, I think it's four for me. Um, but four, yes, I apologize. Four, I will go with. I'm torn here. I'm going to go with Benedict Matherin. Uh, the reason I have him at four is I think when he shoots his ball and he just catch and shoots it, which is what he will be in the NBA. He will catch and shoot. His stroke beautifully shooting 37% from three. A lot of it is catch and shoot, but I've seen him shoot some off the dribble. I've seen him shoot off the curls. And I think that hurts his percentage. 37 is obviously a good number nonetheless, but uh, he's six, seven shoots the ball very well, can put on the floor. And I think that when you couple his athleticism with his shooting, like I said, with Jabari, there's going to be times where he's going to get more space due to respect of his athleticism uh, he also he also is the lead scorer on the best team in the Pac-12, and that means something to me in terms of shooting because if you've got a higher usage rate, sometimes the shots that you're taking are not necessarily the flow of offense. He's the guy who's trying to construct something late in shot clock, and uh, that's another lottery-type talent that I think can really shoot the ball and will, will shoot the ball at a very high level in the NBA. Yeah, it's funny because Matherin gets a very bad label, I feel like, of being a three and D guy, but he's so much more than that. He's so athletic. I think he can take guys on the, on off spot ups, you know, where he pump fakes and drives. He's very good at that. And that to me is more than a three and D guy. He will be in that three and D mold, but he's not just strictly an offense. He's not just a shooter. He's a very good cutter, for example, uh, which is also very helpful as a, as a three and D guy. Like every, almost every elite three and D player also is very good at cutting. Uh, just for example, Corey Kispert is, although he's struggling this year, he is one of the better cutters, I feel like, in the league. He's already up there in that. He's been really solid. So you see things like that. You have to have other elements to your game to really, you know, because otherwise they're just going to stay right around the three-point arc, and that's predictable. But Matherin's a great pick. I feel upset that I didn't have him on my list. I think I focused a little bit too much outside of the top ten. But that just kind of shows how strong this year and every future year will have the same thing with how strong the shooters are in this year. 
My number three, I'm going to go with, I, I feel like you're going to have this guy too. It's really hard not to put him up here shooting 48.8% through 25 games. AJ Griffin, you know, the form isn't exactly the most fluid, especially at the base, but you look at what he was doing. I think he was shooting, I'm, I'm double checking this as I'm talking, but yeah, he was shooting 50% before last week where they played a jam-packed schedule. They played four games in seven days. They had an NBA level schedule. Um, or excuse me, they played three games. No, they played four, uh, Saturday to Saturday. They played four games. They were playing every other day. That's a lot, and his numbers dipped a little bit. We'll get into that eventually. Uh, we're going to talk about Duke, Virginia, and, and just Duke in general, but A.J. Griffin shooting this percentage is absurd, and three might be underselling it. I think he's overachieving just a little bit from three, but overall, I mean, you don't get to almost 50% this far into the season by accident. Yeah, he's really shooting the ball. Uh, he's definitely on my list. But my number three is actually not shooting the ball well right now, but I can't look past his stroke. Uh, Patrick Baldwin Jr., he's only shooting 27% from three right now. But if you have watched him prior to playing at Milwaukee where he's not played every game either, uh, he's got the most fluid shot. He was often compared to Clay Thompson. And when you compare yourself to Clay Thompson, or maybe not him, you don't compare him he has been widely compared to Clay Thompson. He didn't make that himself is what I'm saying. Um, it, mechanically, when you're compared to Clay Thompson, that is the, the praise of a shooter that you can hope for. Uh, that's all you can hope for because Clay Thompson's form, I think, may be the greatest in history. It's just so textbook and the release and the height, I, I buy into it despite shooting only 27% right now. And I still have him as a top 10 pick in my, my opinion. Yeah, I completely agree about the best form with Clay. I am a little bit uh skeptical of Patrick Baldwin you know the FIBA tape is what a lot of people point to where they say hey like he was really good and his form is very good I think he's one of the guys where the percentages undersell him but when you have that good of form and your entire selling point is shooting he shot 32 percent in FIBAs from three 60 percent from line very small sample size I'm not not worried about the free throw percentage but at some point we got to start seeing results and him not doing it in the Horizon League and very limited sample size and just in college has been a little bit alarming. I left him off just because of the percentages. There hasn't been a strong selling point on that. But if you're looking for best form in the class, it is him. I think that's objectively true. I really don't know anybody who has better form than him, except maybe the only guy who comes close for me is my number one guy who I'll get to. But uh, I like the Patrick Baldwin edition. That was hard for me to leave him off as well. For me, my number two guy is actually someone who I see going undrafted, being a six-year player in college and only being 6'4". But he's such a solid shooter just in any way, catch and shoot around screens, all of it. And that's Xavier's Nate Johnson. This year, he's shooting 39% from three. Last year, 45%. year before, 41 year before that, 39%. Uh, and he was at Gardner-Webb for two of those seasons before transferring to Xavier last season. But 6'4 can really shoot. I've heard teams just fall in love with his jump shot. Uh, this is from earlier in the year in non-conference play. Could see him catching on as an undrafted guy. Uh, not necessarily how I'm not sure how high that ceiling is, but he is going to latch on one way or another. So who's your number two? Before I put my number two, one, he's a great shooter. The one you just put, that was a good, good get. Um, I, from when I made this, I was kind of thinking of first rounders. I posted on Twitter who are the best shooters. And um, that's what got me thinking. So I was kind of using my first rounders. I have a guy I'll put at number one, like as a, as a second, second person on there. But of the first round picks, I, I'm going to put my number two is Ochag Baji. I think Ochag Baji, his senior year tape, his shot is so fluid. He's shooting 47% from three as the lead guy at Kansas. And I really buy into that same, same idea as Matherin. When you're the lead guy on a really good team, 
your percentages typically dip and he's shooting even better. He's shooting 10% better than Benedict Matherin, who before, I mean, early in the season, probably people would say was the best young shooter in this class. Abaji's older, but I think 10% is ridiculous. We've compared him to Desmond Bag, plug and play. If you can shoot, you can shoot. If you can play, you can play. That's number two on my list. Yeah, that's uh, that's actually my number one player. I'll just emphasize a little bit more statistically. Like the first year he played, he took off his red shirt middle of the season to play. Uh, kind of came out by surprise. Had some big twenty point games. Um, something I talked to him about at the combine was, you know, teams didn't know his scouting report, and he took complete advantage of that. Sophomore year, he faced some challenges, and teams knew what to expect. He shot thirty four percent from three, and then last year and this year, he's thirty eight percent last year, forty five percent now up in three. And over the last three years, he's shooting 39% from three on six attempts per game. It's really good sample size. The only concern comes from the fact that he's shooting 69% on average from three. You really want to cross. If you're one of the better shooters, you should be at the worst 75%. And I know it's only six percentage points, but it's a pretty big gap. Um, Oche also brings, kind of like you talked with Matherin, he brings other parts of the game where he's athletic. He cuts very well. He can get his head above the rim when he dunks. He's ridiculous in that end. Um, and one other, one last thing, and I'll let you say you're number one, but his jump shot, the way he doesn't dip anything, come off screens, just such a quick, fluid shot. I buy it. I'm not too worried about the three-point percentage. It could be a limiter, but it's not a not something that will make him bust. So who's your number one? I'm very interested to see because I don't think it's someone we've said. It is. So I've got A.J. Griffin. A.J. Griffin's my number one. I'll say why. He came into this year, and when they had their two big, big wins – AJ Griffin scored like one point in, in those two wins. Since then, he's be, he's gotten better. And in those games, he wasn't shooting well. He's shooting 48.8% from three. You said his shot is unconventional. And I would agree. But his balance is spectacular. It reminds me a little bit of, um, of Donovan Mitchell's um, pre-shot balance, where it's a wide base and he's super ready to go. He loads up and his legs are strong enough. Uh, he shoots the ball very well against North Carolina. He went five for five. Louisville. Or sorry, four for four to start that game. Louisville, I think he went five for five and from three. Those are teams with a lot of athletes, and he's able to get his shot off quickly. And we, we talked about the athleticism being a help. Um, he doesn't only shoot it from there. He and I and I buy into his shooting there. I will say my one disclaimer because I thought it was just first round when I was making this list in my head. I think Kellen Grady of Kentucky is the best shooter in the country. If he's if getting the Duncan Robinson mold where he gets a late like a late second or undrafted, I think he's the best shooter on this list. Yeah, I'm in a group chat with a bunch of Kentucky people, and uh, I hear a lot of that name a lot. He is someone who I liked at Davidson and kind of flew under the radar going to Kentucky, and he's kind of back in that area. My my one honorable mention, I had to kick for Jabari Smith because at the last minute before we got on, I was like, oh, crap, I forgot about this dude who can shoot at any angle, like you said. I kicked off Nigel Pack, who is someone I see undrafted. He's six foot, six foot one at Kansas State, but shoots the absolute lights out, and he should probably follow the um, – the Frank Jackson mold where he's six, two, six, three off ball guard, but he's shooting 45% from three. He's so fast lightning fast release. I like his game in Kansas state, but um, yeah, those are, those are our top shooters of the class. I think that was a really good list. You'll find a lot of the guys are generally first round picks. I think almost all of the guys that we listed are mostly being mocked there. Nate Johnson obviously was a little bit uh, of an outlier just being, 24 years old but all the other ones on our list should be first round picks maybe early second with Hyun Jung Lee uh, but those were our, our top shooters of the draft when we come back we're going to recap what happened in this last week it was a very eventful uh, week of college basketball but first let me tell you about TurboTax 
people think unusual circumstances mean complicated taxes, but for TurboTax Live experts, that's what makes things interesting. They have all unique lives, whether you invested in crypto for the first time this year, um, you know, you own an up and coming small business or you're raising rambunctious twins. TurboTax has live experts who can answer your tax questions, walk you through the whole process or do your taxes for you from start to finish. They help you get every deduction you deserve, no matter your unique situation. And you can talk to a TurboTax live expert through your phone or computer without leaving your house. TurboTax live experts are here to help you however you need. And if you need an extra hand, hand your taxes off to them and they'll do it all for you. To TurboTax live experts, an interesting life can mean an even greater refund. Visit TurboTax.com to learn more. You do your thing. They've got your taxes into it. TurboTax live. So talking about the recent, um, the recent upcoming uh, week of college basketball, excuse me. We saw a lot happen. Uh, I think no other crazier event than um, than the week of college basketball and than Duke versus Virginia. Virginia pulled off a crazy upset. I don't think any of us saw that one coming. Uh, and, uh, you know, A.J. Griffin, we talked about him. Let's just start with that. He had two points, one of seven shooting. It was his first bad game, I would say, uh, since North Carolina State last month. And looking at the stats, if you take out just like he's allowed a bad game because over the last 15, 16 games heading into this point, uh, 17 actually to be exact, he's averaging 12 points a game coming from the first eight games where he averaged four points a game. Leaf, what did you like about the Virginia game and, and the rest of Duke's week in all honesty? Well, I think Virginia has been the best program in the ACC for the past 10 years. So I wasn't stunned about this. I think that Virginia is extremely difficult to play when you're young um, because you have to shoot over a pack line defense. And I think while AJ Griffin missed some shots that I think he ordinarily would make, that's bound to happen. As you said, regression to the mean uh, Virginia puts Reese Beekman on AJ Griffin, sometimes on Trevor kills. He's the best defender in the ACC for my money. Mark Williams has a claim because he's a great shot blocker, but I, I'm a huge Reese Beekman fan. To me, this was more of a testament to how well Tony Bennett can coach. I think he won the coaching battle between Be uh, Coach Bennett and Coach K. Um, but like you said, as for the, the draft prospects, none of them had a particularly good game. I know Mark Williams had 16 points, but he only had four rebounds against a relatively undersized team. Paolo Bancaro had the most disappointing game of any of the Duke prospects, in my opinion. Nine points and nine rebounds. That sounds okay. But he was three of nine. He didn't shoot in the entire second half. When you're 6'10", 250, you have to find a way to get the ball against a team that that's center is smaller than your power forward in Paolo. Uh, AJ Griffin, two of two points, one of seven from the field. I think a bad shooting day was bound to happen, but to me, the, the Testament was more to Virginia's defense and resiliency. That was an awesome game. I love the finish big shot Beekman for the win there. Uh, basically the exact same spot as he hit it against Syracuse uh, in the ACC tournament last year, uh, big win for Virginia. And I think Duke is going to rebound well from this loss down the road. I think this is going to be a good turning point for them. And I expect a more aggressive Paolo Bencaro and AJ Griffin to start shooting better again. Hey, Gloria from white men can't jump said it, you know, sometimes when you lose, you win. Sometimes when you win, you lose. Sometimes there's uh, some good learning moments from these losses. And hopefully that is one of them. We saw Duke go on to win their next two games against Clemson and Boston college. They only have uh, six more games the rest of the year till March 5th. So they finally see the schedule drop off a little bit. They have four more games in February through 15 more, or excuse me, rather this is a short month, 13 days. Um, and then two games in early March, and then they hit the conference tournaments. So it'll be an interesting 
end to the season for them. They've already played 25 games. Paolo, like you said, I mean, that I feel like his stock is finally starting to drop. Uh, he definitely was the champion of the first two months, I would say, uh, throughout pretty much till January 15th. And then he started kind of slipping a little bit. Uh, Mark Williams continues to be very efficient. I mean, 84% in three games this last week. Uh, could be even higher if you really expanded that sample size back to, if I really wanted to cherry pick it, back to Notre Dame through five games, 85%. It's just absurd. Question with him comes defense. But uh, let's move on to a different big man who I don't think defense is really much of an issue. We teased it at the top of the episode. We're going to go full locked on Chet. Talk to me about Chet Holmgren, what you like, what you don't like. Lay it all out. Let's talk about Chet for a little bit. I mean, where to start? Chet Holmgren has been dominant the past two weeks. So I know we said we're recapping this week, but I want to point out a stat line. He had 20 points, 17 rebounds, six assists, and five blocks against uh, BYU, who talent-wise is the second-best team in the WCC. Uh, and then I, there's this one play that I would like to talk about where no, not a player in the country can make this other than Chet. He takes the ball about 90 feet, not quite 94, but about 90, dribbles up the middle, makes a little shake, little hezzy shake, cuts the middle, spins back to his left hand, doesn't shoot a layup because a layup, layup, you know, anyone can kind of flip a layup when your arms are as long as his. He shoots a full-out floater from about five feet with his left hand, which is his offhand, and makes it. And, like, that's amazing. That's jaw-dropping. Like I said, one player in the country can make that play. But what's crazy is that's not even what I want from him. What I want from him is what he does best. He feeds the ball unselfishly in to Drew Timmy. Drew Timmy's extremely efficient. Chet is the anchor of their defense, and he's the unsung weapon of their offense. He's unbelievable, and he's only getting better. And I know people will be like, oh, it's WCC play. However, watch March Madness, and I think this guy is going to be the reason that this team is the favorite to win the championship. Yeah, the oh, it's just West Coast Conference. They have three turn at least three tournament teams. Probably I mean, four. I was about to say you could you could add a fourth in there with Santa Clara. I mean, they're that's a real conference. Like, yeah, the basement kind of sucks. I mean, like uh, with all due respect, San Diego and some of the others, fine. They're not world beaters. I get it. You get some easy games, but what prospect hasn't faced cupcakes at some point? The in conference play since New Year's. This is January eighth till today. Chet is averaging 16 points a game, 10 rebounds a game, 1.7 assists, one steal, three blocks. And all of this on 67% shooting and just absurd three-point volume on three and a half attempts per game, 58% from the field with 79%. Like we're seeing the true, um, we are true, seeing the absolute true Chet Holmgren on display right now. And I don't care what conference he's in. This is a legitimate, he's facing some good talent. I think you're seeing some real strengths and weaknesses tested. And like you said, I mean, I, I clipped that play. If it's not, if it's the one I think it is against, you said St. Mary's, right? Yeah, that was the one. And if you want to find it, just type in maps draft chat. That's all you have to search. You'll see it. It's one of the latest videos I posted. It's remarkable. And then this doesn't even include how well he plays as a two man game as a cutter off of, um, off of Drew Timmy. He does so much. Chet Holmgren is the real deal. And this is coming from someone who really was skeptical to buy in. Um, I think, do you have something you'd want to add to maybe why you should or shouldn't buy Chet? Is there anything that really stands out to you in addition to that? I think one thing you can look at is according to Synergy, uh, he is excellent in transition, excellent in, excellent in half-court offense. He's excellent from um, against man defenses, which is what they face 98% of the time. 
Uh, in transition, excellent. Spot up, he's good. And he makes he's 63rd percentile of spot up as a 7-1 player. He's in post-ups, he's considered very, very good. 82nd percentile. Off the cut, he's excellent. Offensive rebounds, he's 99th percentile. And everyone talks about how his frame is is so like so wiry that he may not be an effective rebounder. Well, that that's dispelled right there. And you know what the greatest thing about Chet is? It's not his offense, it's his defense. And he's excellent in all those categories as well. The only thing you'd want from him that you don't get in those stats is maybe to become a better role man. But they their role man is Drew Timmy, so I don't even buy into that of him being below average there. I just think that the opportunities and sample size is far smaller than it is with him playing on the perimeter or as in the high-low game as a recipient of high-low passes or the passer of those. He's the real deal, man. He's unbelievable. His defense is Evan Mobley-esque, and now we're seeing what Mobley's doing in the NBA, and he's reg- – Coming into the year, he was regarded as a better prospect as Ev- than o- Evan Mobley was at USC and after his USC season. Yeah, I mean, Evan Mobley is the top prospect in high school. I think people forget for the longest time he was number one uh, pretty much until Cade really emerged. Evan Mobley is the top prospect. They're like, I mean, I personally had never seen a 17-year-old leave his feet and come back quicker than he did with such a high vertical. I mean, just so quick off the ground. Chet really is almost a more – even this is, sounds silly to say, but even more well-rounded player where, I mean, he brings the ball up the floor and has smooth, smoother handles than, than Mobley. It's absolutely ridiculous, but uh, this is locked on Chet. <laughs> and this is the conclusion of locked on Chet. You can assure, you can be assured that there's, this will be a common thing, especially come postseason. I mean, looking at what Evan Mobley did in the postseason last year in March madness, I assure you we'll be talking a lot about Evan, uh, whoa, excuse me, <laughs> got carried away there with Chad Holmgren and just how dominant he will be in, in the NCAA tournament. This isn't just a West Coast Conference thing. We've seen him dominate plenty of high major teams. I mean, we saw him, I would say, dominate um, the teams like Duke uh, in some ways. It wasn't always, you know, 2010-555 or anything, but, I mean, he was putting up plays and numbers where they just had to get it. Everybody had to get out of his way. He was putting up three, four blocks in almost every single high major game he played. But when we come back, we're going to talk about some of the upcoming games and what to look forward to in this week's matchups, as we always do. But maybe we can help you also bet on some of these upcoming games because Bet Online has you covered. Football season is over. The Super Bowl was this weekend. Crazy game. But basketball is now in full steam for both pro and college basketball, as you know, listening to this podcast. From all the latest odds, totals, players, performance props to where the next fired coach is going to land, BetOnline is the number one spot for all your sports betting needs. BetOnline remains the best spot for all your sports scores, podcasts, and news this season, and it's not just basketball. BetOnline.net, formerly .ag, is your source for hockey, boxing, UFC, and right to the Olympics coverage and information. Head to the website or use your mobile device to learn more about the trends in action. BetOnline, where the game starts. Also, Built Bar, which... If you haven't had a Built Bar, Leaf, I know you're new to the show. I don't know if they've sent you your Built Bar package. The day you do, we're going to we're gonna have a full segment just about how good those things are. And this is not just an ad. This is They're genuinely incredible Built Bars. Um, it's, it's the time of the year where pretty much, you know, I've given up on all my New Year's resolutions. But uh, this year's a little bit different. I'm sticking to my resolution to eat right. And Built Bar is a big part of that. They're, they're nutritional bars have tons of good flavors and it makes me feel very very good about eating healthy uh they have so many good flavors and best of all they're only 130 calories only four grams of sugar four net carbs and 17 grams of protein 
And if you compare that to a candy bar, which usually has 240 calories, 30 grams of sugar, and dozens of net carbs, it hits almost your daily limit right away. Go to built.com, use promo code LOCK15, LOCKED15, L-O-C-K-E-D-1-5, and get your 15% off your order. Use promo code LOCKED15 for 15% off at built.com to have the best tasting protein bars on the market. So back with we've doing to recap, uh, excuse me, preview this week in college basketball. Let's pick a handful of games and talk about what they mean for either the college landscape or the draft landscape. Leaf, you want to kick us off? Yeah, sure. Let's start with a game that's happening tonight. Uh, Villanova and Providence. Providence is an unlikely story. They're 20 and two. They're they're freshly into the top 10. Um, Villanova is the ultimate litmus test in the Big East and have been for the past few years. I'm very curious to see what uh, what exactly they're made of. Ed Cooley is my front runner for coach of the year right now. And I, I think that this team is extremely tough and Villanova is a little banged up right now. This could be a huge win and and help Providence get a, a leg up in the Big East, which no one saw coming. I mean, we did a Big East preview and neither of us mentioned Providence at all. So shame on us and good on Ed Cooley. That's one I'll be watching today. Yeah, that'll be a good game. I love Nate Watson, and I hope for, I really hope that that gets him on some pro radars, whether it's NBA or overseas or G League. He deserves it, uh, and he's a really fun center. I'll stick with Tuesday today. Um, you've got Wake Forest at Duke. We talked a lot about A.J. Griffin. I think you're going to see a really strong draft matchup and a heavy offensive-minded player, Alondis Williams, at Wake Forest. And I would be very shocked to see anybody but A.J. Griffin starting up, lining up against him. That'll be a really good test for both players I think mostly Alondis has some has more risk involved in this, if you want to call it that. I wouldn't hold it over his head if he scores 10 points on like 15 shots. It's a tough matchup, but I'm really excited to see that. What's your next one, Leaf? I got one more from today. Um, Kentucky and Tennessee. Kentucky has kind of cracked most peop- uh, prognosticators' one line, um, and that's a team that's really trending in the right direction. Ty Ty Washington had another leg injury um, in his last game. See if he's all right. But Tennessee is a team that's in the top 10 of the net. And that's something that means that uh, analytically they're playing very well, even if it's not necessarily showing up yet in the wins. And typically what happens if that's the case is they eventually do come. And this could be a huge marker for Rick Barnes and the Tennessee volunteers. Um, They've got a lot of talent. They're a veteran group. Uh, I think Kentucky will probably still win this game. But if Tennessee wins this, watch out for the volunteers hopping into the top, top 10, top 12 in the country. Yeah, that's a good one as well. Uh, for my next one, I'm going to go with Mississippi State, someone who I feel like has really risen over the last month. They're a super efficient guard, and that is um, that is Iverson Molnar in his first matchup against Alabama. He had 24 points, four assists, six rebounds on eight of 17 shooting. It was, I want to say, the only time in the last month he shot under 50% from the field. I could be wrong. Uh, oh, sorry, it was, the, it was one of three. It was one of three times. The other two times were 39%. Uh, and that was in, let's see, that was three of 13 games he shot under 50%, which is an absurd stat. Also in that game, Keon Ellis did a really good job. He's one of the better low-key 3 and D guys in the class. He had 14 points, seven rebounds, three assists, two steals, one block, and that was on 30% shooting, unfortunately, but got to the line and hit threes. I think that'll be a really fun matchup. You know, Iverson Molinar, J.D. Davis, and two guys that are around the same range in the 40 range, I would say. Uh, Leaf, who you got? Yeah, uh, looks like you got what? Two more? Let's say two more. We'll do two or three. Yeah, I, I got one more, and that's uh, I think this is the most obvious one of the week is is Texas Tech and Baylor. Uh, to me, this is 
not for su- supremacy of the Big 12 because Kansas is up in that. But I think this is a battle for a two seed in the tournament. The winner of this game, assuming they play out well, um, I think will Texas Tech beat Baylor the first time, and I think they're coming to Lubbock in this one. If Baylor is able to win this game, I think they get the two seed over Texas Tech. If Texas Tech wins this, I think they get a two seed and Baylor moves down to a three, especially considering that they still got Kansas a second time and Jonathan Chamwa Chachua, one of our favorite guys, is out. Um, he got he tore his ACL out for the year. This is a big uh, test for one, some prospects. I think we'll see extra Jeremy Sohan and more Kendall Brown, but also I think that in a college basketball uh, purist world without draft being there. I think this is a huge seeding game because whoever wins this game is going to have an upper hand in the big 12. And I think in bracketology. Yeah. The big 12 is an absolute bloodbath. Uh, let's just set that straight. I don't think there's any team that really is dominant over everybody else as good as Baylor has been. Texas tech has been Kansas has been none of them are the alpha clear alpha. And there's only one team at the bottom. And even then they might be the best worst team in any power five conference in Oklahoma state. For my next one, uh, I'm actually I'm looking forward to next Monday, uh, right before we record again. So I'm counting that in that window. Indiana, Ohio State. I think that's going to be a good one because I'm, I'm just looking at this not only from a college perspective. I think that is a very big matchup. But you look at EJ Liddell, someone who I think is starting to climb on draft boards. I'm still holding some stock down low, but um, him versus Trace Jackson Davis, one of the more one of the players who is weird because we we talked about him. If he had a jump shot, he's a consensus top 30 prospect. But without that jump shot, he's fringe draftable. I'm really interested to see that matchup. Both are very good on the defensive end, I would say. And uh, I'm very interested to see that matchup. You got one more to bring us home? Yeah, I got one more. And I, I think this is one that that is interesting on both ba- uh, draft and and just college basketball fandom. I would, I would say that Michigan State and Illinois is a big matchup in the Big Ten, kind of trying to stay alive, hope to upset Purdue in terms of who's the – who's reigning supreme. They got some help from Michigan this past week. Uh, and I, I think Max Christie has had a few games in a row that haven't been up to his standard. We talked about him. He's a guy who was kind of borderline on my top uh, top shooters. Uh, he could have a big game. I think that there's some older players in Michigan State that need one of those signature wins that they win by them themselves, not with Cassius Winston, not with Xavier Tillman. And as for Illinois, Kofi Coburn has been a monster. He's been a monster. He's made himself draftable. Um, and I think that Trent Frazier, he's not – I don't think he's quite draftable because he's a fifth-year senior. But he's shooting really well, and he's one of the best defenders, if not the best defender in the Big Ten. Um, he's he's making a case for himself to be a second-round pick and also an all-Big Ten selection. So that's a game I've got my eyes on on Saturday. Man, I love everything you just said about that, especially the part with uh, Max Christie being almost – in the top. I mean, he is, he's one of my top picks for the Mavs. So very much appreciated. Well, this has been a good episode. We've, I think this is actually one of our more fun ones. We went full locked on chat. We did our top shooters and we previewed, previewed, excuse me, what was coming up in this next week as March Madness approaches. I mean, we're a month away from selection Sunday. We are right around the corner. Uh, tell your friends, you know, subscribe, like YouTube. We are brand new on there. If you're still listening on the audio platform, thank you. We have not forgotten about you. We are just making a big YouTube push, but thank you for making us your first listen every day. Thank you for keeping us in your lives. Hopefully, uh, hopefully we do a good job. Tell us anything we can do better on always open to criticism and feedback. Uh, just don't, you know, personally attack us is all I ask. Don't roast me as much as I do love a good roast. Uh, but you can find us at Mavs Draft, as it says on YouTube, and at Leaf to Lean. Thank you, and we will be back next Tuesday.